Well, good evening again. We'll be uh, Galatians chapter 3 tonight. Galatians chapter 3. Moving our thoughts along from this morning. This morning we talked about uh, these folks uh, from Galatia, the Galatians. Isn't that a great thing to call them? I guess we're Bristonians, right? So we're from Brister. Well, of course, the Galatian people from Galatia. And uh, we talked about them and how uh, they were kind of impulsive. Uh, they were spiritually impulsive, just jumping at new ideas as they came about. And as these new teachers came in teaching uh, false ideas, that they jumped on those when they shouldn't have. And how dangerous it is to be spiritually impulsive. Because Paul had taught them the truth. The only truth that there is, and that is that salvation is by grace through faith alone, and nothing else. Nothing else added to that. And the false teachers try to have a Jesus plus something else system, a Jesus plus Jewish traditions, Jesus plus Jewish ceremonial things, Jesus plus. And Paul says that doesn't work. Because that's not the true gospel. That isn't the gospel at all. And so Paul writes this letter to clear that up and to remind them that they were taught the truth and that they need to stay with the truth. They need to stay away from the false teachers. But he also used this letter to give them a proper perspective of the law in their lives. Because these these people uh, from Galatia with a, with a Jewish background and a Jewish heritage would have known the laws and the traditions. So when the false teachers came in and said, you need that, the false teachers could make them think that that made sense. And so now they've got this swirling in their mind thinking, okay, then what was the purpose of all the laws of the Old Covenant? What was the purpose of the Mosaic laws? What was the purpose of all of these rules that we used to have? And now salvation is just by grace through faith. And so Paul clears that up over in Galatians chapter 3. And here's something I want us to remember as we go into this tonight. You know, legalism is still a stumbling block for a lot of Christians today. It really is. And I hope that as we look through this, if that has been an issue in our lives, I hope that we'll allow this to clear that up and show us the proper role of the law for believers. Galatians chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 19. Paul writes, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed." Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. 
For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's pray together tonight. Father, speak to us through your word. I pray that you would bless its reading here tonight and that you would show us what you would have us individually to take away from this place tonight. Thank you that we have the freedom to stand here and to proclaim your word and that we can do that tonight without fear. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's the purpose of the law? That's the first thing in verse 19. Uh, Paul even asked that question. What's the purpose of the law? What purpose does the law serve? Why are there all of these rules? You know, I think about before we go on a trip in the summer with our teenagers, we hand out a piece of paper called the rules of the road. And now the rules of the road haven't changed much since I've been here, but I'm sure that all those rules didn't used to be there. Well, then why were rules added? Because teenagers acted like teenagers, and there was a need for a new rule. (laughs) Every rule has a purpose. Think about in your own home with your kids, and if your kids are grown when they were growing up, think about every rule. you There is a reason you have the rules that you have. There's a reason the speed limit is 55 miles an hour out here on this highway. It's because they've done studies that show if you drive too much faster than that, it becomes dangerous. And so that rule is to protect you, isn't it? they got the little sign up going into a curve. They recommend you slow down to a certain speed, maybe. Because you know what? It's unsafe to go faster than that, quite possibly. And so why all of these rules back here in the Old Testament... Oh, it's a lot of them. One word, sin. Because sin, we've got all of those rules. Because man couldn't behave on his own. The law's intent was to create parameters in which man could live safely. That's the intent of all of the law. Is to create parameters in which we can live safely. We're going to focus on two verses tonight. Two verses tonight that help us understand the law's character. And why, as Christians, we don't want to be subjected to the law today. But I want you to notice something in verse 19. It says, what purpose does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, sin, Till the seed should come. You see that capital S seed? You know what that is. That's Jesus. That's Jesus, the one who's mentioned all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. When God says, her seed will defeat you, says that to Satan. It's the same seed. The law is put in place till the seed comes. Well, the seed has come. So now what with the law? Look down with me. We're going to look at these two verses, verses 24 and verse 25, primarily, to focus on the purpose of the law in the life of the believer. Paul says, therefore, the law, in verse 24, was our tutor to bring us to Christ, 
that we might be justified by faith. Notice that the law, even the law, even the rules, they don't result in you being justified by being good enough. They, the, even the law does not result in you working your way to heaven. Even the law results in you being justified, saved by your faith, by grace through faith. Even the law leads to that. Because the law ultimately points us to Jesus. So Paul uses this word. He says that, that the law was our tutor. This word tutor comes from the Greek word, and I'm just going to say this because I want to try to say it. I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce this right, okay? I wish I had a screen. I would put it up there for you, okay? Let me look at it real quick. Pedagogos. Did I say that? Is that good? Look, Dr. Goebel says that's right. (laughs) Pedagogos, okay? It's probably the last time I'm going to say it tonight. I'm going to say tutor because I can say that fluently. But he uses this word tutor, and that word that's translated to say tutor here in our English Bible was not like a school teacher. This wasn't the school teacher. This wasn't anybody who formerly worked for school. This tutor was a slave. This tutor was a slave employed or uh, under, under the, the work of a Greek or a Roman family to supervise the young boys on behalf of their parents. Why the young boys? Because the girls didn't go to school. The girls didn't need a tutor. So this, this tutor was to supervise the young boys on behalf of their parents. They made sure they did their schoolwork. They made sure they went to school, got home from school. They instilled discipline on behalf of the parents. See, the parents didn't have to discipline their child. The tutor did it for them. The tutor kept them in line. And because of that, because that was the tutor's job to instill discipline, and to make sure that the, that the child did what they were supposed to do. Sometimes that tutor could be strict. And I bet you a lot of times that kid didn't like that tutor. How many times in life have you come up and you say, I really don't like that rule, God. I wish that rule wasn't there. I think it would be so much more fun if that rule wasn't there. Have you ever thought that? Growing up, did you ever think that? Why can't I do that? That, that rule is just stupid. Well, it's really not. It's there for a reason. And that tutor was there for a reason. That tutor had to be strict for a reason because they had to fulfill a purpose. Keep that kid alive until they become an adult. Get them through to adulthood. And the very first thing we need to know about that tutor-child relationship was it was his job, the tutor's job, That when the child messed up, that tutor was to correct the flaw and show them the right way to live. When the child messed up, it was the tutor's job to say, that's not the right way to live. Here's the right way to live. And you say, what's the purpose of the law in the life of a Christian? It's to be that reflection for us and to tell us that's not the way to live. Here's the right way to live. That's the role That's one of the roles of the law. And in that tutor-child relationship, it it wasn't permanent. It it, it wasn't always there. When When that boy reached adulthood, the tutor was no longer needed. 
The tutor just had to go, you know, to another family and, and start over with another child. The tutor, or moved to another child within that family, but the, the, the tutor and that child no longer had the tutor-child relationship once adulthood was reached. But the tutor had a lasting impact on the child. You ever have a teacher who you may or may not have liked him or her, but they impacted you in ways that affect the way you live to this day? I had those teachers. You ever had somebody in your life who maybe filled a similar role? Who impacted the way you lived as a child and it impacts you to this day? It could have impacted you positively or negatively. It could have impacted you negatively to the point you thought, I don't want to be like that person when I grow up. I certainly have had those kind of people, but thankfully I've had a lot more of the other kind. I think we can all probably say that. The tutor had a lasting impression on the child. Because now, in that tutor-child relationship that Paul's talking about, now that that child has become an adult, he now, most likely, does voluntarily what he was forced to do by the tutor. Because the tutor has trained him in such a way, he didn't like doing that. He didn't like walking that way. He didn't like saying, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. You ever meet kids that don't like to use manners? Let me tell you, you beat it into them enough that they'll do it. It becomes that instinct, right? I mean, you can, I did say beat, I meant drill it into them. You can drill it into them until they will do it. I had to get on that one the other day. No one pointing at Mary. Truett's laying down on the pew, and most of you cannot see him. Truett is laying down right there, looking at me now, because I called his name. So the tutor had a lasting impact, a lasting impression on the child. And the law ought to condition us to live a certain way that's pleasing to God. But in that tutor-child relationship, once the child reached adulthood... If the child didn't do, didn't live in the way the tutor had instructed him, you know, as long as he was a child, if, if he goes against the ways of the tutor, well, the tutor could, you know, get him back into shape. The tutor could discipline him. The tutor could do what needed to be done as long as he was a child. But when he reached adulthood, if he lived in any other way other than what the tutor had taught him, see, the tutor no longer had control over him. He didn't answer to the tutor anymore. He didn't have a problem with the tutor. You know he had a problem with? He had a problem with his father. A great example I can give you, and I got this, I guess, on my mind because we just started the Financial Peace University class, and, and I had to laugh a lot of times on his radio show. Dave Ramsey gives people uh, advice. Of course, he gives advice as if it was things he would do, and he says, you know what? If my kids are doing things that I don't approve of, if they start living in a lifestyle that's contrary to the way I believe, they're out of the will. And they know that. They know they're only in the will as long as they're behaving. If they get hooked on drugs, they're out of the will. If they start shacking up, before, of course, I think all his kids are married now, I don't know, but he says if they start shacking up and they're not married, they're out of the will. 
they start living in a way that's contrary to what we've taught them, they're out of the will. And that's how the father in this, this relationship in, in that we're looking at with this tutor child, that this now adult son, that's the problem he's got now. He doesn't have a problem with the tutor. He's not under the, the tutor's control anymore. He's now got a problem with his daddy. And his daddy might just decide to cut him loose, just cut him out, because he's not acting the way that he ought to act. And so the law no longer rules over us once we're saved. But living contrary to the law can result in us losing the blessings of God in our life. See, we don't have a problem with the law. We have a problem between us and the Father when we live contrary to the law. And that's what Paul is trying to say to the Galatian people. So our relationship to the law is like the relationship between the tutor and the child. To recap it, to the unbeliever, to the person who is an unbeliever, the law may seem overly strict. But it's certainly an outstanding teacher and an outstanding disciplinarian. And it shows the unbeliever the way to spiritual adulthood, which is salvation. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. At which point the believer is no longer under the authority of the law, but lives, should live in agreement with the law because it's the Father's law. And because we should have been taught to live that way. So upon salvation, the relationship changes. And that's what Paul is trying to get through to the Galatians. Because they're probably wondering, well, these teachers that came in telling us that, yeah, we needed Jesus, but we also needed the Jewish traditions, and we needed the, the, old, the old covenant laws, and we needed all these things, and we had to obey those in order to be saved. And Paul's saying, no. No. You don't anymore. Because your relationship with the law is like that relationship between the tutor and the child. And you are now, if, as a believer, you are saved and you are no longer under the authority of the law. But you still ought to live in agreement with it. And remember, if we don't, our problem is not with the law. But our problem is between us and the Father. So if we're not under the law... What are we under? In verse 25, he says, but after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. So what are we under? Well, you know, if if you've read much of the Bible, you probably remember what he told the Romans. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14, he said, for sin shall have no dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but you're under grace. You're not under the law, but you're under grace. Too many people, I think, take that to the extreme. And they say, well... The rules don't apply to me because I live under grace. Do what I want to do. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Well, Paul, if you remember all that, Paul said, oh, no, 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 certainly not. People take it to the extreme. Some people take it to the other extreme of legalism. But you see, I don't believe either view is biblical because the biblical view between the law and grace is that grace doesn't sweep the law under the rug. Grace raises the bar. See, the law is down here. 
You're trying to meet the expectations of the law. It's down here. Grace is up here. Grace raises the bar. And you say, how can that be? How does grace raise the bar? Because as a recipient of grace, I'm required to bestow grace. And I tell you, I think that's harder a lot of times than meeting some of the requirements of the law. It's hard to bestow grace sometimes in some situations to some people. Grace raises the bar. But you know what something else grace does? does? We look over in verse 26. Because of grace, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Grace unifies. That's tough. That's raising the bar. Grace unifies. Jesus summed it all up. How to live a life of grace. He gave us what we know is the great commandment. You can find it in Matthew 22. You probably know it by heart. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He said, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And he said, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why does grace raise the bar? Because Jesus, he's not finished yet. He had one more, one more thing left to say about these two commandments. Love. Grace. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Grace raises the bar because grace fulfills the law. If all we do is love, Love God with all we've got and love everybody else second. Guess what? We live in submission to the law. That's grace. Grace fulfills the law. Now I hope we can go out from here living in grace and being people who bestow grace to others. Is there anything before we dismiss?